Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join me on a sunny day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Neil Foster, manager of the Birmingham Stage Company, one of the world's top producing companies of work for children and their families. Neil, hello. Hello, nice talk. Pleasant to talk to you. Thank you for coming on the program today. Um, Before we address uh, leadership, uh, we should probably uh, come to terms with the COVID-19 situation. I'm sure it's had a profound effect on your uh, organization. How has it been affected? Well, we've ceased entirely on the the day that Boris Johnson announced that all theatres should close. That's what they did. I was watching William Shatner from Star Trek that night. I think it was the only theatre left open. And since then, my company has stopped producing anything at all. So, yeah, we're at a, we're at a tipping point. And do you have a, a plan uh, on how to re-enter the marketplace when this is finished, or is it uh, playing by ear? Very much playing by ear. I think our ability to be nimble, we can be very small in what we do as well as very large, is going to be key because what I'm very concerned about is the, the theater is a, one of those difficult things it takes such a lot of time to prepare a show that once we go to once the theaters reopen when they reopen um there's such a lot of work in getting a show on that if for example theaters are then closed again if there's another lockdown because cases rise or we come towards the winter <clears throat> that's when we're going to face sort of catastrophe so i, I actually not to put too fine a point on that, I think theatre's in an existential crisis over this because we're the one medium which requires a lot of strangers to come together in a dark room and sit very close to each other for two hours. And in the current situation, I'm not sure when that is going to become either acceptable for the government, but also acceptable for people themselves to feel comfortable in that situation. So we're all in the profession at the moment very scared. Well, you are absolutely right. I, it's not just when uh, government uh, deems it safe. It's also when people's confidence return and being out in public. And I think that is going to take a much longer time than people actually think. Um, yes, I'm, I think we're in for a very rough, in theatre terms, I think we're in a very, very rough two or three years. And, and a lot of companies won't survive, I don't think. Mm. Well, we might as well move on to the subject of leadership. I always like to start this portion of the conversation off by asking a very simple question, and that is, what does the word leader mean to you? It's taken me a long time to learn it, because when I set up my theatre company, I was I was actually 18 years old. And what I was doing at the beginning was creating a theatre company in order to produce theatre, in order to act in it, because I'm an actor as well, in order to be part of the creative purpose. and I didn't realize at that point that I was supposed to be the leader of it as well. Sort of being the boss was something that I hadn't uh, reckoned with. And it took me a long time. I mean, probably five, once the company really got going uh, when I was 26, it probably took me about five years to understand that that I did have that responsibility to be a leader and that I was the boss. And, And I couldn't behave in the way that I would like to behave. I couldn't be one of the lads. I had I had responsibilities, and um, that was a big learning curve for me. Now, of course, uh, leadership is something that that is learned; it's not born in in one. Where did you learn your leadership techniques from? 
I think two important things happened for me. The the book Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey was very important to me in learning how to be a boss and giving because I'd never had a boss either. That was my other problem. Because I'd started my company when I was very young, I'd never actually worked for anyone longer than a few weeks. So I really was learning on the job of what people expected from me. Um, and Stephen Covey's book was fantastically helpful. I think one of the most important things it said was that all your employees, treat them as volunteers because that's in effect what they are. Although you're paying them, they are volunteering to work for you. And therefore, how you treat them and how you relate to them should mm -hmm. be based upon that premise. And I've followed that through for the last uh, 28 years that I've been running the company. I was also very lucky to work for a chap called Peter Wolfe, who set up a theatre trust. Um, he, he was a fantastically successful man in uh, textiles, but he wanted to put money back into theatre, being a Jewish refugee. And he was a fantastic boss because mm. one thing I, that he taught me was I had never understood properly was how much encouragement was important. I'd always been brought up in quite a harsh regime wherever I'd been at the school or drama school. And Peter was the first person to really express great gratitude and thanks and marvel at anything I did that was remotely successful. And those two things almost were, were probably the most important teaching tools that I learned in, in the journey of of being the boss. Do you believe that you require a different form of leadership uh, running a theater company as you would if you were running um, a uh, some sort of corporation? Well, I don't know how corporations work, um, except I suppose I, I probably missed out one really important person, uh, which was my father, who was in business. Mm -hmm. He was quite a tough businessman, um, and I, I learned to be bullish through my father, which mm. has stood me in good stead as well. But I think the, the real difference in theatre is it's so collegiate. Mm -hmm. um, it really requires everybody to come together. And that's where it's very interesting from a status point of view, because although leadership is definitely required, everyone needs to feel that they're contributing uh, and that they're important and that we're all working together for a common aim. because everyone's work makes such a difference to what goes out in front of that audience. And mm. that may be where it's different. I imagine in really good companies that still applies whatever they're doing, but certainly in theater, it's that collegiate element that makes leadership in a sense, quite a tricky, tricky place because it's about encouraging people and allowing them to creative. And I've had to learn not to tell people what to do as much as what to do, but in, but in getting the best out of them, that that's where it's, that's where it's different, probably. Now, we touched on earlier the difficult times ahead for theatres uh, due to the COVID-19 outbreak. However, under normal circumstances, uh, let's pretend for a moment that COVID-19 wasn't an issue. What is the most pressing issue for a theatre company today? Um, theatre's in a really good place, generally. Um, it, it, there's lots of, you know, I remember being told by a very big producer, about 20 years ago that the play, for example, was dead, that the, the, there wouldn't be plays in the West End uh, that would just be musicals. And, and that proved absolutely not to be the case. Um, there's a lot of creativity going on in theatre. And if, so in fact, the real sadness of the situation is that we were in a really 
good place with a lot of interesting work happen, happening. And then this has happened, which, as I say, is probably more threatening to theatre than almost anything you can imagine because of the nature of it requiring to bring a large group of people together at one time. Um, so yes. it's difficult for it's difficult for me to <laughs> it's difficult for me to ignore COVID because if it wasn't for COVID we we would be in a very productive time for theatre generally. So it's a it's a real tragedy. This has happened quite apart from the deaths that it all involves. Mm. Do you think uh, that this situation uh, will produce great art? Uh, it's difficult. I, I'm, uh, as well as an actor for my company, I'm also a writer, and I'm, in a sense, this is a gift to have a period of time where I can sit and do all the research that I need to do and, and the writing that I want to do. It's a great opportunity, and I am grasping it as hard as I can, but it's very strange to do it where there's this background buzz of catastrophe around you. I'm actually also speaking to you from the countryside, because that's where I live, mm. um, where nothing is wrong. Uh, you know, look at the trees, and you look at the birds, and the water flowing through the streams. You know, there's, there's no problem here, except for this background buzz of everything that's happening. And that's, in some ways, debilitating, because... As I say, you actually are wondering what you're creating now, when it's going to be produced and how it's going to be produced, because mm -hmm. the future is looking so uh, bewildering. I mean, bewildering is the one word that for me captures the situation. I am someone who's run a company for 28 years and feels like I've always got a, a sense of where we're going. And at this point, I have absolutely no idea. And, and that's a difficult place to be when you're supposed to be a leader. Now, before I let you go, if I asked you to objectively identify the greatest leader, living or dead, who would that be? Well, because I create the Horrible History stage shows, a lot of my um, people that I admire in leadership are historical. And the one I was always fascinated by um, was the Emperor Frederick, uh, otherwise known as Charlemagne. Mm -hmm. who was one of the most extraordinary men in medieval times. And if I'm allowed one other choice, I would say between Charlemagne and Augustus, the Emperor Augustus, the Roman Empire, those are two people that astonish me in their ability to transcend their period and their time. Mm -hmm. And he's so forward-thinking. So if you'll allow me the two, those two, I find them um, utterly fascinating. They are absolutely allowed and fantastic choices. Um, I, Neil, I'd like to thank you very much for coming on the program, uh, and I do wish you and the company the best of luck uh, throughout this uh, trying time, and I do hope that when this is over, you can come back on uh, the program and discuss your next show. Neil, thank you. Thank you so much. That was Neil Foster, manager of the Birmingham Stage Company. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. We're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, 
score nothing for Essex. Uh, my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't. And, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, had one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where. Um, so Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a fantastic coach or teacher, if you like, at football. And uh, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and a manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very... Fortunate, I think you, you you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and uh, a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood, and of course uh, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at. West Ham uh, with with a manager like like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players, and of course they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peters? I think probably. Well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, mm-hmm. again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain. Um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters who was a fantastic player and some, as far as Martin's concerned I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was in terms of inspiring confidence I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me I guess would be the captain Bob Moore although he was only uh, about eight months older than me he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier he played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, uh, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in 
by initial reaction, people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Al Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, or at West Ham, your uh, plane came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, especially I say about South Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and, of course, your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time... At, maybe overly strict by the time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn for you and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, South so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team, or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it, but looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. So I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, 
on Jimmy Lee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out now. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot, and it's there, and people, players talk about, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important, to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that, that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Alf showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very... I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we have some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I... I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about twenty minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> But the, the the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh, dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke and make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited, just had a, look, had a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want you got time? I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on, go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honour. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions, and then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who 
who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. Just, but then I, again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, me laugh that if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when obviously this happened. When you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by by quick one way or the other? people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of the fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably... Yeah, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is. People must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah, and and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with? Um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader. Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to. Their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely, that's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely mm. 
you've got to take him as the first example because Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen, we've seen, we've probably ever seen. And I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, the, the answer, straightforward answer is yes. Um, they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England. Who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate, and I wouldn't pick any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And I'm going back from an earlier earlier question for me that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with, all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and- when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word, the word is team. Showed. The word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes you know, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single mind and single mind and dedication, dedication to the job, um, 
thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But it, you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.